Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And we are on the brink of a whole lot of big-time Supreme Court decisions. Uh, We are going to be reporting in the next week or so, very likely, on abortion and guns and immigration, uh, prayer in schools. But the Supreme Court has issued uh, some big ones. We're going to talk today about a case involving religion. And the issue is uh, whether the Supreme Court has torn down the wall between church and state. We're also going to talk about uh, whether... You predicted the Bill Cosby verdict this week, $500,000. The former famous comedian is going to have to pay to his latest accuser. And also we are going to talk about uh, the question of whether Attorney General Garland uh, is going to be appointing a special prosecutor to pursue Donald Trump with criminal charges. But first, Connor, we got a couple of human interest items uh, we want to get to. And also, of course, at the end of the podcast, uh, America's favorite game show, Guess the Verdict. And the the issue today is going to be whether Walmart is policing your sex life. So uh, that's the that's the case that Connor is guessing the outcome of. So, Connor, big debate nationally over uh, pronoun propriety. Um, there's footage that's emerged from a Navy instructional video, U.S. Navy, on how to use the right pronouns. It just went viral a couple of days ago. And uh, John Rosan, an engineer with the Naval Undersea Warfare Center, says using the right pronouns in a, is a simple way to affirm someone's identity. He says it's critical to use acceptance and respect to forge a safe space for everybody, according to this training video. Now, my question, Connor, is, do you really have a right to expect a safe place when you're in, you know, the military? Uh, am I being unreasonable here? I, I'm not going to say you're being unreasonable for thinking that the military is not an inherently uh, safe location, but it certainly can be. There's no reason to to not make it safe for our soldiers. I mean, if anybody is out there thinking, I mean, who is deserving of our extra special protection? Who should we go out of the way to protect? Maybe it's the people that are putting their lives on the line. It's not like there's a draft, right? The Navy is full and every other branch of the armed forces are full of people who are putting their lives on the line to try to protect this country. So yeah, if you can build a safe space for them. And in this case, putting their lives on the water or underwater. 
Sure, I'm sure I've not. I, I'm sure you're not implying that the Navy is uh, uh, is is are the are the wimps of the uh, of the armed forces. I'm sure the Air Force would argue that, but but we're not here to settle that debate. Uh, we're we're just here to say, you know, do do these folks deserve uh, the courtesy and kindness and respect? Uh, I would think so. I think well, that's a good policy. Let me get let me give you Mr. Johnny Rosan's uh, example of, of what you're supposed to do. He says instead of saying something like "Hey guys," you can say "Hey everybody." I guess that's pretty harmless, right? Yeah, I know a, a really good gender neutral uh, greeting to a group uh, to avoid "Hey guys" is "Hey y'all." The or how about this? Had it right the whole time. Hey sailor or hey sailors. Hey sailor, that's perfect. <laughs> so he, come on, maybe, but perfect. I love so, of uh, Conchi Vasquez, an engineer with the Naval Undersea Warfare Center, says you correct yourself and move on, or you accept the correction and move on. It's a little complicated, but I guess we can do that. They no, say I, the most. I know the feeling yeah. is I, 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 there's a lot of embarrassment associated with it. Actually, a lot of people resist. I think the idea of taking responsibility for people's pronouns because they're worried about getting shot down, corrected, uh, yelled at, something like that. Why didn't you use my correct pronouns, blah, blah, blah. I've misgendered people before. It's happened a lot in my life. I, I have a lot of friends who are gender nonconforming. And when you meet them for the first time, sometimes it can it could be uh, disconcerting. Uh, or they appear to be totally gender conforming, but are in fact not. That is a tough you know, thing to, to get comfortable with. And, and people are really afraid of being shamed for making errors. But I have found that overwhelmingly people are very understanding, very willing to you know, be kind and correct and say, uh, in correcting you and say, uh, actually, I use they, them pronouns or she, her pronouns, and you just move on. Plus, it's very uh, unlikely that, that it actually happens in person, because usually you don't use pronouns to refer to somebody when they're in the room with you. Right, right. Well, you know, this uh, th this Conchi Vasquez video actually addresses that. They, they say, while misgendering is terrible, one must not pressure another person into divulging that person's pronouns. So I'm thinking, Connor, the pronoun is kind of like your computer password or your ATM pin, right? I, I guess... I I guess you could think about it that way. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to pressure someone to reveal either. So this is great. I just hope the Navy spends half as much time training how to kill bad guys as they do working on pro pronoun etiquette. So uh, yeah. slogan-wise, the Marines have Semper Fi, and we're looking for a few good men. The Army, be all that you can be. The Navy, perhaps, could be... Uh, he or she go navy, or we're looking for a few good persons who are or were either men or women. Would that be? It's too too awkward. It it doesn't exactly. It might cut down on recruitment, is what you're yeah, it saying. Might. I think it might. All right, so we're we're just not going to go there then. So uh, since we're on uh, a roll here talking about wokeness, um, the question is whether or not it's too woke to be concerned about people who buy tampons. Now, normally, advertisement has been uh, directed toward uh, women have been stocking up on uh, tampons during the pandemic. NPR did a report on this. Um, CBS said women are facing product shortages. Time magazine said women have been stocking up on the product during the pandemic. But NPR... They're not like those troglodytes at Time Magazine and CBS. They know it isn't just women who need tampons. It's men who were born female, but who now identify as women and who still actually need tampons in spite of, in spite of everything that's gone on. So what does NPR do, Connor? They say instead of using the word woman, 
you should say people who menstruate are saying it's hard to find tampons. Now, is this is this too far, a bridge too far, or are you okay, okay with this? Uh, again, I perhaps predictably am okay with this. I think that the the language, as language changes and evolves, it can be awkward temporarily to figure out the best ways to refer to people. Um, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of people I, I know um, of a lot of people, even in the LGBTQ community, uh, trans people who uh, find it awkward to have, you know, exclusion, uh, inclusionary language uh, constantly be changing. Uh, they're uncomfortable with, you know, trying the feeling that they're like forcing people to to change their language all the time and, and be extra inclusive uh, just to make sure to to cover everything, single thing in a way that might be awkward. But if you're a news organization, it's not like it's a comfort, it's not like it's a casual conversation where somebody might just say women uh, and, and then move on and everybody understands what they're saying, uh, at least at this point here in 2022, maybe things are different in 2032, but whatever. If you're a news organization crafting a headline or a, an article, that seems like you could go the extra mile, you know, like you could really cover your bases and, and be completely inclusionary without too much trouble. Uh, plus, you know, people buy tampons for their partners anyway. So, or it's just, you know, it does, it doesn't seem uh, like, you know, being that's probably relatively rare, but I'm just guessing <laughs> you've probably never, no. of course, done that. You've never been to a grocery store in your life. You have people for that. Uh, well, every time I've done that for my wife, of course, naturally there was confusion over the price. So on the PA system, they say, price check, uh, Mr. Oaks needs some tampons here. Price check, please. Right. right. Like it's clean a up on aisle three. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And everybody turns and looks at you and laughs and they point. Yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. Condoms. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> the, the constant fear that uh, someone will point and laugh. And you're not sure why exactly it'd be funny. But Price check on the extra strong hemorrhoid cream. Extra strong hemorrhoid cream for Mr. Oaks. He needs it right now, please. Yeah, Thank right you. Now. Yeah, I, this is, I got to say, uh, in, the, in the vein of all the wokeness gone wild stories, it just really makes me miss. This one's fairly mild. Uh, sure, but they, 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 as a category, they really just make me miss PC culture, right? Because <laughs> that used to be the boogeyman. Right. Ten years ago, before the word woke came to you know, be in vogue and came to generally refer to people who understood, uh, people who were awake to the problem of- Back when we violence. were all dozing. Right, yeah. It, it, was, it was a call to action. It was, a, it was a term to say, a positive term to say, these people are aware of the problem of police brutality, specifically against African-Americans and other minorities, but just broadly police brutality in America against American citizens out there, people trying to live their lives. The cops are not a force for good. They're, in fact, a force for bad. They're a force for brutality, exploitation, uh, civil forfeiture. They're taking people's property and money. They're shaking them down. It's, you know, we, we live in a police state, basically. They gobble up our tax money in massive local police budgets, and they turn, uh, turn around and give us almost nothing in return. That attitude was very rare. It was, very, it was not well understood, and everybody basically wanted to back the boys in blue 10 years ago. And now, as the term, you know, came more and more into vogue, People started to say woke and then use it as a pejorative if they uh, were against it. But the exact same arguments, the, oh, it's woke culture, wokeness gone wild. And uh, uh, the, the liberals are, are now completely wacko progressives and they're, they're off the, 
charts and they're they're policing the words that you use and they're telling the kids that they can't read certain books and can read other books in school and the exact same arguments were made and they just called it pc culture it's just too politically correct <laughs> i can't make racist jokes now at, in the workplace or sexist jokes to the workplace because it's not politically correct well connor let me ask you boogeyman. let me ask you this with respect to your comments about <clears throat> law enforcement of a minute or two ago uh-huh. have you ever considered um uh, rehab where you would go to a very pleasant place like a you know beachfront Malibu yeah. with spa and massages and so on. But good. basically the rehab would consist of you binge watching reruns of Dragnet and Adam 12 over and over for about 30 days. Have you ever considered doing that? Honestly, I'd be down if we could include include Law and Order SVU because <laughs> I, it, it's a it's a it's the most bingeable, of course, of all the cop shows. All right, we'll add that to the mix. And it really we'll put the wire in there. The notion, yeah, the wire training the, training day. Oh wait a okay, minute, yeah, yeah. These are too real. Not, we we need ideas. some real propaganda. Okay, we don't we don't want none of this <laughs> nuance. We don't want the wire depicting people who are accused of crimes is that a word is is propaganda a word or did you just oh, make that up oh yeah no no that's a that's a whole the whole genre of oh, i gotta get out more. movies and television uh that promote the idea that cops are the good guys and that they're actually out here helping people yeah, what a, um, what a notion what a notion <laughs> propaganda all right um when we come back uh, has the supreme court torn down the wall between church and state but first connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to too many lawyers yeah, if you're enjoying the pod, which I'm sure you are because you're listening, uh, make sure to hit the, the, the subscribe button or the join button so that the podcast gets pushed to you every single week. You don't have to seek us out. Um, you know, and, and you don't have to stumble upon Royals tweets to, with links to the pod. You got to actually you get to actually just get it delivered straight to your uh, inbox, uh, your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Stitcher, Spotify uh, or whatever else. Apple Podcasts being the most common. And while you're on that podcast platform, click in the like, join, or subscribe button. Uh, Leave us a review, too. We love them. We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So the Supreme Court, uh, it's kind of tantalizing the way they're putting all the big decisions off to the very end around Uh, June 30, July 1. They want to drop the bombshells and then run for the hills and take the summer off. We do not yet have abortion. We do not have the gun control decision. Even the immigration, remain in Mexico or the prayer. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. School deal, the, the guy in Texas, the football coach who likes to take a knee at the 50-yard line after losing a football game. Thanks a lot, Lord. 
but what we do have, Connor, just a couple of days ago on Tuesday, June 21, is a decision by the Supreme Court on a six to three vote, kind of pretty much the conservatives uh, uh, had their way. Supreme Court held that when Maine, the state of Maine, pays for private secular education, it's got to also pay for private religious education. And the context is Maine's kind of rural, of course. Some areas do not have any public schools, but kids got to learn. So Maine says, hey, if, you know, if a private school is in your rural area, you know, and you're 100 miles from a public school, we're going to help subsidize that. Along comes from religious schools and say, hey, what do we chop liver? We'd like some money, too. And the main legislature said, no, no money for religious schools. There's a wall between church and state. And of course, the First Amendment says, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And since the 40s, the Supreme Court has pretty consistently ruled that the prohibition against establishment of religion applies to the actions of state and local governments. So now, Connor, the the Supreme Court is saying, you know what? There are two parts to this First Amendment religion thing. And yes, establishment of religion is, is bad. But uh, free exercise of religion is good. And I think the majority's attitude was, you know, we're not really establishing a religion like they did in England, you know, the Church of England. But we're respecting people's rights to practice their religion. And, you know, kids got to learn. Are you comfortable with this decision? No, not not at all. I I think that Carson, that this is a famous name. The case is Carson versus Macon or Mackin. That's going to be, I think it's going to be the Brown v. Board of Education of the day. I think this is the end, the beginning of the end of secular public education in the United States. This is a court that's not going to get any more liberal and not any less conservative. It's only going to get worse. Um, you know, I, I think the Democrats you know, stand to, to likely lose um, in the, the next election. Um, and I really do think that the idea of funding public secular schools is disappearing in this country. The, this, uh, as, as the, uh, as the uh, dissent in the Carson case by uh, Sonia Sotomayor, Justice Sonia Sotomayor said, this leads us to a place where separation of church and state becomes a constitutional violation. The idea that you could, that a state can say to a school, I'm sorry, Yes, we're funding public schools the way that we always fund public schools, but we're not going to fund you school that is coming to us and saying, give us money because you're not a secular public school. You're a private religious school, and we can't fund private religious schools because of the separation of church and state. That decision that the, that the, the state is making there under this Carson framework, that is a violation of church and state. It makes absolutely no sense. It's totally gibberish. It is completely a uh, – the, the majority's opinion by John Roberts actually says – I mean it comes out and says, I think this whole argument about who gets funded and who doesn't, about public schools and private schools, I think that this argument about uh, you know, First Amendment uh, and defense from the liberals and separation of church and state from the liberals, he says, I think it's a smokescreen for discriminating against religious people, which is – Completely bonkers. There's there's no discrimination happening whatsoever when a state funds a secular school and then a totally different kind of organization, a private religious school shows up and says, hey, you've got to fund me, too. And the state, which back in 2002, by the way, the Supreme Court ruled, "Okay, as of 2002, states are now allowed 
to fund, just allowed, not certainly, you know, not required, but just allowed to fund religious schools. We don't think that's a violation of church and state. And a lot of people were up in arms about that. They were saying, look, states that are tilted toward religious conservatism and have religious conservative legislatures and, and, and governors are going to end up funding public schools uh, out of out of existence by funding private schools. They're going to you know put a poor bunch of money into them if you let them do this. This is using tax money to to indoctrinate children. Yeah, but what, if, what about the, what about the ser- uh, situation where you know in a rural state, uh, what, what if the only school within 100 miles is religious. I mean, if you're not going to fund it, if you're not going to provide secondary education, why all those people, they're going to end up as lawyers, Connor, because, oh, you know, they, they didn't have. A, but what, what about my point a minute ago? I mean, I wasn't the real purpose of the establishment of religion clause back in the 1700s. Americans remembered why they left England. The Church of England was a creature of the government. There was oppression. That's why they got on the Mayflower. Are we really worried some main Mennonite sect is going to take over the religious life of America and those religious fanatics in the House of Representatives are going to vote to make the Mennonite church the official religion of the U.S. I mean, Robert's uh, position was that the state pays tuition for certain students at private schools so long as the schools are not religion. That is discrimination against religion. Uh, How is he getting it wrong? The whole framework, just starting off with the framework of isn't wasn't the original point of the separation of church and state, uh, this notion that you shouldn't have a government prescribing which religion you have. That framework is the wrong way to think about it. So First Amendment and separation of church and state is a an entire legal field. People dedicate their entire lives, have for hundreds of years now, to understanding what the First Amendment means, what it should mean, how it should Connor, people devote their entire lives to studying the digestive tract of the three-toed sloth. And now we know a lot more about it because no, people true. have developed up that area, right? And instead, uh, if we if we allow the complete originalist, reductionist, uh, ahistorical view uh, to go back and be like, well, what what is the what are the words on the page really mean? It ignores the reality of all the interpretation, the very important interpretation that has been done in the First Amendment sphere that vindicates also the rational, practical outcomes. Uh, that we have to worry about, where if you have the government funding religious schools, you're indoctrinating children with those religious values. What about the Maine, the citizen of Maine, who is, you know, Hindu or Muslim or Mennonite or whatever else, and the only public school around them, uh, or the only school around them is a religious private school, because the government funds religious private schools and is required to fund religious private schools. So if you open a public school in that area, there won't be any frickin' students there to go there because they're all going to the funded religious private schools. Instead of PS2, you could go to Mosque 2, maybe. Right. The answer is open public secular schools to serve American citizen students who are growing up and need public secular education for free. You know how much it costs to open a school and in the middle of a giant Maine forest? Every every American rural area deals with this problem. How many schools do we have? How dense do they need to be as populations grow and shrink? Do we open and close schools? This is a solved problem. We have an entire <laughs> department of education and an industry and every state has their own policies to solve exactly this problem. And to come in and say, well, we need to force, not allow, but force a state to fund religious schools that come to them with their hand out and say, I'm going to indoctrinate children with Christian or Muslim or whatever else beliefs. And you have to do as the federal government, uh, as the state government fund it, 
that is not a solution to the problem which is already out there being solved. The problem is out there being solved by a bunch of really smart people who are figuring out how to develop. I mean, the, the entire, the, the notion that today, nowadays, you could create the concept of a public library and have the American public support it blows your, no freaking way. Not a chance would <laughs> the American public ever, the socialist buildings full of books that anyone could check out for no money. People are going to burn them to the ground. They're going to never return their books. They're going to you know, become havens for drugs or something. You could never pass that filthy socialist idea now. The idea that on, I mean, that's Those just, aisles are pretty private. People could just, probably shoot just, up there and- Absolutely. You know, just it, that's a freaking library. The idea of free public education for everyone. We can't even get health care. There's no way. So here's the get, bad news, Connor. Here's the yeah. bad news. Yeah. If you had said all these things just a week ago, the, the chief justice could have heard this podcast and it might have turned out differently, but it's in, yeah, the, books. Maybe. It's in the books. I'm sorry. Yeah. Maybe. Um, all right. Let's move on to the Bill Cosby verdict, Con. Um, I wonder how many people predicted this. Uh, just Tuesday, a $500,000 verdict was returned in Santa Monica in the Superior Court against Bill Cosby. He wasn't around because the judge did not require him to attend the trial. He's blind, apparently. He couldn't very well testify and be cross-examined when he can't read documents and see pictures. But the jury was convinced that, yes, uh, he was a bad guy. And so they voted to award half a million dollars to Judy Huff. Um, it's, it's interesting to me, Connor, because the, the jury voted against punitive damages. They were actually stuck eight to four, I think, uh, uh, right. on that. And you have to have nine out of 12. I, you know, punitive damages are awarded in a civil case where you act in a way that is sort of uh, conduct that's in the same character of, of a crime. It's loathsome. It's despicable. Uh, it's malicious. And the jury said no to that. Now, if they think he's a sex criminal, as they clearly do, they voted against him and awarded half a million dollars. Why do you think they would hesitate to to add punitive damages on top? That's a good, It's a really good question. I think that... Um, uh, a lot of people view punitive damages not only through the lens of and a lot of defense lawyers when they're making their arguments are going to tell you to view punitive damages, not just in the sense that, oh, this crime was bad. A lot of crimes are bad, right? Why wouldn't we say punitive damages are always available uh, in, in cases of wrongful death, right? right. But punitives are, are only available in this context of a civil case, not a criminal case. And so when somebody is accused of a civil wrong, namely sexual abuse, battery or whatever, it's not a crime. But for them to hesitate to award punitive damages when the instructions pertaining to punitives are, if you think this is close to being an actual crime, then, you know, award punitives. But, but they said no for some reason. My example, though, wrongful death is a good example, right? It's in situations where wrongful death is the civil tort over mm -hmm. which we're arguing and money is at, is at hand for somebody's death, it's very easy for a plaintiff's lawyer to say, well, wrongful death is a lot like murder or manslaughter yep. uh, or negligence that results in someone's death. Uh, so that you should think of uh, criminal negligence, that is. You should think of that as, you know, like a crime and you should award punitives in every single case of wrongful death. That would be a really ar easy argument to make. And, and in fact, there are other issues, other factors that a smart defense lawyer is going to bring up in this case, and the Cosby lawyer probably did, and conveyed that punitives, people think of punitives, uh, in a, say the, uh, the, the famous, to put it in context, that famous and very badly, wrongly decided uh, uh, McDonald's hot coffee case, right? The hot coffee case, uh, people, there's a lot of misunderstanding and people don't know the story. Uh, 
McDonald's actually did a bunch of things really wrong there. McDonald's really was making the, the coffee way, way too hot. And they had really unsafe cups that could really spill the coffee super easily. And they didn't put the sugar and the cream in the, co- the cup. And they there were smoking the gun. Uh, there was smoking gun evidence that McDonald's knew that uh, serious burns were likely, but they concluded their research told them really, really hot coffee. People love it and sales go up. So they were willing to put is a little bit on a minor scale, like the Pinto case where uh, the, the comp- car company knew that they could save X thousand lives a year, but it would cost them so many millions of dollars they were willing to put up with the wrongful death suits. Whoops. Yeah. So you you get punitive damages in these cases where you're trying to punish somebody and you're trying to send a message to that person and say, don't do it again. Well, maybe the jurors in this case thought, Bill Cosby's never going to hurt anybody again. That We don't have to worry about that. So then they're left sending a message to sex criminals broadly. Are you a sex pest or a sex criminal? Are you going to avoid uh, doing this in the future because it's not going to be a half million dollar verdict like it is against Cosby? It's going to be a two million or a three million dollar verdict. Well, maybe they are students of human psychology and say nobody can tell the difference between half a million and two million dollars. It's a meaningless number. Whereas McDonald's does some pretty good calculus, and that's where punitives are really useful. Is that what I think the jury did? Probably not. Are they thinking on that level? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe the defense lawyer made those arguments. Maybe not. But there are lots of ways that you use punitives or don't use punitives or can argue them uh, for them or against them. And in this case, it may well have been the most likely outcome is the jury said half a million dollars. That just seems like enough dollars. I don't think people, juries, really think more deeply than that most of the time. I think yeah. it's pretty straightforward. Well, it's a long and winding road that Cosby has had through the legal system. Uh, he was beloved as America's dad for a long time, decades. But now he was convicted, as we all know, in Pennsylvania, served three years before the Pennsylvania Supreme Court sprung him, concluding the uh, the DA's promise uh, decades ago should have been uh, upheld not to prosecute if Cosby would submit to a deposition. And here, I mean, he's engaged in 11 settlements. Uh, 10 of the settlements against uh, uh, in favor of women uh, were paid by his insurance company, supposedly over his objections. And now there's one remaining case filed uh, last year by a Lily Bernard, accused him of a sexual assault in Atlantic City in 1990 when she was 26. It's in the early stages of the litigation. But once that one's in the books, he's off the hook criminally. Uh, we, we will have no more Bill Cosby cases to report about. Hey, when we come back, will Attorney General Garland appoint a special prosecutor to pursue Donald Trump? Stick with us. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, a lot of people are wondering, inquiring minds want to know, will these high-profile, primetime television House of Representatives hearings, the Select Committee, uh, have they really been a roadmap for the prosecution of Donald Trump? Now, you know, the argument uh, has been. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? 
In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. And for by the Democrats that uh, they really want to convince uh, Americans, especially people who might be unclear how to vote uh, in the midterms. And then in 2024, that Trump really hoped for violence. He knew he had lost 62 suits, uh, failed to help him. A dozen of his appointees on the bench, they all rejected his claim. He urged Pence to break the law. He urged various states and their representatives to break the law. So that's the message Democrats have been getting across plus two Republicans on this House committee. Um, but really, I think the ultimate dream of, of the Democrats is to get him prosecuted, to kind of tee up so much solid evidence. Um, you know, we, we've heard talk about District of Columbia. Their prosecutor is uh, talking about going to the grand jury over the incitement to riot. Atlanta's prosecutor has assembled a grand jury. But I think maybe the big question is whether the Department of Justice under Attorney General Merrick Garland, whether they are going to sort of take the baton from this committee. What do you think the chances are that uh, Biden's AG Merrick Garland is going to start down the road of prosecuting the guy who almost certainly will be his boss's opponent for the presidency in 2024? Yeah, it's a tough question uh, as to what the Democrats are really going to do. I would say, in my mind, it's not a tough question about what they should do, but we don't know what they will do. The problem that a lot of people are bringing up and talking about is how it will look. How, are, what are the political optics behind prosecuting a guy who is your political opponent, your biggest uh, contender for the Republican uh, you know, candidacy? Um, and my answer to that is, you can't think about it at all. You have to either appoint a special prosecutor or simply have Garland through the, his office directly do it. Um, the idea of, 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 of appointing somebody who's neutral or a Republican or will garner some sort of respect, it, it, it's not going to happen. It, it, we had Robert Mulher. He's the He was the most neutral, imaginable party. Uh, to Are you try saying to- they shouldn't strive to have a neutral prosecutor? I'm saying that it doesn't matter if they do. They're not going to win any points for doing it. So go ahead and you know appoint a neutral prosecutor if you like. Uh, appoint the new Robert Mueller if you like. It's not going to help accomplish the goal of changing the political optics. All you can do is try your best to save American democracy and do that by putting Donald Trump in an orange jumpsuit to match his skin. There's no way you can save American democracy without holding Trump accountable. We are on a slide towards fascism. We are on a slide, a dark path towards the worst possible outcomes uh, that you see in the end stage, the deaths of democracy as capitalist forces uh, devour them, uh, as as people whose lives are getting worse and worse and they see the rest of the world improving, uh, get frustrated and angry and turn to thuggery instead of like, political you know, despots uh, who, who promised them personal benefit and, and strength uh, and, uh, and, and law and order. That is the path we're on. And the only way that you turn that around is you show the next despot, the next wannabe dictator, uh, that they will personally suffer for it, that they will rot in well, jail. You, you may be right, but some people believe that if the attorney general appointed a special counsel to investigate Trump, 
along the lines of Leon Jaworski back in the uh, Nixon era and, you know, Mueller more recently, that would be more popular among sort of the centrists in in the po- population. And, and there is that option. The Department of Justice has special counsel regulations letting the AG appoint an attorney to investigate a matter involving extraordinary circumstances where it's in the public interest to appoint an outside special counsel. And, uh, you know, if they pick, for example, somebody, even Republicans, moderate centrist Republicans respected, somebody with an impeccable track record for being a fair-minded prosecutor, I can see, you know, it's not going to satisfy Mike Lindell, my pillow guy, but I can see how that would go down a little better. And the president can't fire the special counsel. The attorney general may fire only for misconduct or conflict of interest or other clearly established good cause. You don't think that would make uh, make things a little more palatable uh, in terms of going after Trump? I won't say having the most neutral possible party, a Robert Mueller style person, uh, be the figurehead of this investigation wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be a good move. But if what you're getting is somebody who will, like Mueller, end up being kind of cowardly about bringing charges uh, because they're a Republican, because they want to appear neutral, or because they're afraid that uh, by prosecuting Trump at all, uh, it will look like partisanship, and they don't—they're so afraid of, of getting their their hands dirty with the the the, the filth, the mud of of looking like a partisan. Uh, that is a cowardly position that our government has so far taken and that they need to dispel themselves of. And if the way to dispel us of that uh, silly notion of bipartisanship in the, uh, our approach to an insurrection, uh, if the way to dispel ourselves of that insane notion is to hand the reins to partisans to be able to prosecute Trump for the obvious series of serious crimes he committed, then that needs to be done. And we need to, I mean, think about it this way. If you handed the reins of the prosecution of uh, Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton to a bunch of partisans versus Republicans, or if the Republicans had handed off that to a supposedly neutral party of their choice who claimed to have been a former Democrat, and they came out with a prosecution of Hillary Clinton for the email scandal or the Benghazi scandal or whatever. And would I, Connor, filthy progressive liberal, actually give a crap that they had handed it off to a supposedly neutral third party? No, I would say this is obviously, you know, Benghazi of the emails and, and lock her up and nonsense. I, I've watched it the whole way. I've seen the crimes and, and evaluated it myself and discovered that they are politically motivated hack jobs. And putting, you know, Robert Mueller or some other special prosecutor at the helm is going to change that. So are you building a case for appointing Connor Oaks as special prosecutor? Of Donald <laughs> yeah, Trump? exactly. Give this filthy progressive pinko commie podcaster <laughs> the reins to the most important well, you are a lawyer. criminal in the U.S. That's true. Yeah. I mean, as as candidates go, I'm not the worst. All right. Well, we'll see. Uh, Lawrence Tribe, a Harvard law professor, is a big proponent of the special counsel deal. But uh, so Finally far, have his chance. all we know is that Merrick Garland is taking careful notes of the uh, the proceedings before the House Select Committee. Hey, we got time for America's favorite game show, Connor. Guess the verdict. Psyched. Are you ready for this? I'm so ready. So here are the uh, facts of a real-life case. Connor gets to guess the outcome, and here it comes. So a um, couple of folks who work for Walmart, uh, we won't give their real names. We'll just say Bill is single, and he is dating uh, Mary Sue, and she's married but separated. 
What's wrong with that? Well, Walmart has a company policy against dating among employees unless they are both single, absolutely single. So Walmart Sam got wind of the romance and uh, both both members of the couple were fired for violating the rule. They filed a lawsuit against Walmart. Connor Oaks, how do you think this turned out? This is good. So Walmart, Walmart is is sticking its grub. Did you say? Finger. Did you say Walmart there? <laughs> Don't did. you like big successful companies? Is that why you come up with a scatological nickname for one of the biggest job creators on the planet, Walmart, Connor? I wish I were quick enough to come uh, up with Walmart, but I just said it by accident. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, Walmart is sticking its grubby fingers into these people's sex lives, and is a jury going to say? Yeah, I like this policy uh, that tries that that lets Walmart, you know, get its nose in there and try to decide how divorced is this person really, how separated are they really, and how okay is it morally? Question mark or I don't know, efficient in the workplace. Like, what is Walmart's justification for this policy? That I think makes a huge difference. If I'm if I'm the defense lawyer for Walmart, and someday I probably will be, uh, I will say I would take the most neutral, most maybe ridiculous sounding, but the most neutral perspective, and, and just try to say, look, we're just trying to stop employees from, you know, having marital disputes on the job. If you have employees who are cheating on their spouses with each other, uh, then suddenly people are going to be coming into Walmart and starting fights. And that's what we got to avoid. I, I don't care at all if people cheat off the clock, uh, you know, and it doesn't hurt Walmart, but inevitably it's gonna, right? That's the problem is you got to hurt our bottom line and we're just a business. I guess. Well, you, you were asking a minute ago, you know, what, what were they thinking? Unfortunately, we can't ask because I believe Sam is dead. Although if he had the foresight of a Ted Williams and a Walt Disney who had their bodies cryogenically frozen so they could be thawed out and, and get back in the saddle 150 years from now. Maybe sure then rich people do that. I mean, it's a hundred percent of, of people with a net worth over $1 billion freeze their heads. Wait. My guess is the jury says, get Walmart, get your hands out of my pants. I, I, I like your blue vests. I like your great bargains. Uh, but I don't like you policing your employees' sex lives. And you're absolutely right. Yes. Really came in. The dating is just a recreational activity. So the couple had a right to pursue their lawsuit. Well, that'll do it for this issue of Too Many Lawyers. Tune in next week. We may have a lot to talk about if the Supreme Court announces the fate of Roe versus Wade and whether you need a special reason to carry a concealed weapon. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio... And producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.